So we read from John chapter 8 today, and the subject of my message is, who do you believe? Now those who were here last week will remember the subject was, who do you serve? This week, it's who do you believe? Next week, it's another one. We'll get to next week in a while. In the scripture we read, Jesus was talking to the Jews. And frankly, they didn't believe what he was saying. They were questioning things. And he says to them this. We find it in verse 25 and 26. The Jews are asking him, they say, who are you, they asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. Today we would say, well I've told you enough times. Jesus replied, I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy and what I have heard from him, I tell the world. If you're going to believe something, you really are trusting. You have faith in your belief. So, you don't realize it, but every single one of you came in here, exercised belief and faith. How many of you, before you sat down, checked your chair to make sure it wouldn't collapse when you sat on it? Anybody? No? You just sat down. Why? How do you know that somebody hadn't sawn through the legs? In fact, that might be an experiment. We'll try one week. (laughs) But you don't, do you? You look at the chair and you think, well, I know that that chair has been made and it's solid and uh, I've sat down every other week and it's never given way. So you don't think, you just do it. What you don't realise is you're exercising your belief that that chair is safe to sit on. We do this in so many things we do in life. We just assume when you get in your car and turn the key, if it doesn't start, it comes as a horrible shock. Not least because you know it's going to cost money, but because you expect it to start when you turn the key. Okay, for younger people, you assume that. For those who had cars back in the 1960s, perhaps that wasn't quite the case. If you turn the key and it started, well, that was a result. But uh, cars today are pretty modern. I can see a few shoulders shaking at that. (laughs) Most young people today, you just get in and press the button and they go. Isn't it great? Until they go wrong and then it costs you an awful lot more to fix than the car from 1960. So what does it mean to believe? Well, I thought we might have a dictionary definition, okay? And you've got to go to the Oxford Dictionary. Why? It's the best dictionary, isn't it? The English language, the Oxford Dictionary. I believe the word selfie is now in the Oxford Dictionary, so they're going downhill. You know, definitely there's there's a few words that they need to sort out. My daughter's nodding and smiling as if to say, that's wonderful. (laughs) So, what is a belief? Well, it's a noun for all of those of you who actually paid attention when you did English at school. Um, 
It's an acceptance that something exists or is true, especially one without proof. I might argue with um, Oxford on this, but I know where they're going. So, for instance, people believe in extraterrestrial life, aliens. My son didn't even look up at that point. There we go. Um, something one accepts as true or real, a firmly held opinion. So, for instance, you might say, we are prepared to fight for our beliefs. Okay? A religious conviction. Trust, faith, or confidence in something or someone. Okay, that's a dictionary definition. The Bible, I think, goes a little bit further. And it talks, generally speaking, it talks about faith. But fundamentally, belief and faith go hand in hand. In order to have faith in something, you have to believe in it. But faith is actually a stronger word than belief. You can believe in something, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have faith in it. So, for instance, you could have walked in here and says, I believe that all the chairs in this room are well made and will probably hold my weight. But if you then went over and checked it first, you probably didn't actually have faith that it was going to and you wanted to make sure. There's a difference. But the Bible says this. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's interesting. Two words I want you to notice in there, hope and evidence. Because people today tell us, oh, you Christians, you have blind faith. Certain gentlemen who thankfully we don't hear too much from these days because I think most people have rumbled him. Um, uh, I suppose I should call him Professor, retired, Richard Dawkins. Oh, you Christians, you just have blind faith. Somebody pointed out to him, Christianity as a faith is the most evidence-based faith or religion, if you want to call it that, out there. There's more evidence that the Christian faith is true than any other religion or faith. So we don't blindly follow. Those of us who are Christians, we're not here because we just thought, oh, I just need a crutch to lean on, I'll just believe in that and hope for the best. Oh no, it's based upon facts, it's based upon evidence. I'm not going to discuss those now, but if anybody wants to ask me about it afterwards, I'm more than happy to have that conversation. Believe me, if you really want to go into it, it could take weeks. But praise God, he's given us enough evidence. And the main evidence we find is his own testimony through his word. And this is what Jesus was saying in John 8. He says, listen, you Jews, he said, in your law, you accept the testimony of two men, right? Fine. I testify that I am who I am, and so does my father. It's interesting. Now, what is most people's attitude towards anything, any belief, any faith these days? Well, first of all, to believe in something, you have to believe that it's true. And I'm going to give you an example of how people think about truth today. And it's an example from 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was being brought up in front of the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. And this is what Pilate said in John 18. Pilate is talking to Jesus. You are a king then, said Pilate. 
Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Retorted Pilate. And if you listen to the media, and if you read the newspapers, and watch the television... People say, oh, well, there aren't really truths anymore. You know, recently, the newspapers, there was all this thing about alternative facts. But it's very interesting that alternative facts are only alternative if you don't like them. People now say, I believe what I feel comfortable with. You see, people today don't believe there is such thing as absolute truth. And if you say there's no God, and there's no lawgiver, then there is no absolute truth. So people say, well, I I don't like Christianity because it tells me that I must do this and I mustn't do that. This is a more enlightened society. We've we've outgrown all this old religion. We, uh, we, we, We know better. And I say to you, okay, you know better, so tell me, why do you have morals? Why do you think some things are good and some things are bad? Oh, well, everybody knows that it's bad to murder people and it's good to do this. Why do you, how do you know who gives you that standard? And then they start to flounder. Because if you do not believe in absolute truth, that somewhere, someone is setting a benchmark standard that there is truth, then you can believe in what you like. You can believe in fairies. Some people do. Some people are away with the fairies. And some of their beliefs make me believe they definitely are. People say, I'll believe in anything as long as it doesn't hurt someone else. The famous one. Oh, we have to tolerate all beliefs. Have you noticed people who say you must be tolerant are some of the most intolerant people you ever meet? You must tolerate all beliefs. Can't tolerate Christianity, but you can tolerate all beliefs. Have you noticed that? It's actually an impossibility to tolerate everything because that would would assume that everything was right and you know it can't be. Jesus said, "I, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. God's absolute truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Interesting. When we spoke last week about who do you serve, and we spoke about Satan, what does it say about Satan? He is the father of lies. Everything in this world system that is under Satan's sway is about lies. What was the first thing Satan said to Eve in the Garden of Eden? Has God really said that? Are you sure that's what God said? He put doubt. He started to tell lies. He started to twist the truth. And that's the world we're living in. Everything that we believe, everything we are told we should believe. Have you noticed that? Nowadays, we're not told you have the freedom to believe it. No, you have to believe in this. So, when the government says, 
everybody must accept British values. It's a very toxic term. And you know what? If Soviet Russia had said the same statement, everybody would say, that's terrible, that's lack of freedom. But because apparently we're in this liberal Western economy, it's okay to tell people what to think. It might interest you to know that the author, George Orwell, who wrote a book called 1984, well, he was a few years out, but it could have easily been called 2017, because a lot of it's coming true. Totalitarianism. You think you live in a free country, you might not realise how much your liberties are being taken away. And leaving Europe won't change that. It's an interesting thought. But we have a government that is slowly closing down the freedom of Christians to worship and to preach and to teach what the Bible tells us is right and wrong because that clashes with what society is currently accepting. So you have a situation just like in Rome... 2,000 years ago, where the governor of the whole of Palestine could say to Jesus Christ, what is truth? I don't know what truth is. Well, what is the truth? And why does it matter what you believe? Well, we find in Acts chapter 10, this is what the writer of Acts gives. This is part of a sermon. He commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he, Jesus, is the one who God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Wow, there's some pretty strong things in there. The Christian faith preaches that God is going to judge the living and the dead. If there's a judge, there must be a law. If there is a law, there is a lawgiver. And in this case, the lawgiver and the judge are one and the same person. That's God. So what you believe matters. It's not a question of, do you believe in fairies? I gave that one as a joke, but people believe in different things. They say, well, I believe that it's okay to, um, to have casual relationships. As long as nobody gets hurt, probably relationships are the one place where we as human beings cause more havoc than anything else. It doesn't matter who I go out with. It doesn't matter who I sleep with. It doesn't matter how many people I sleep with. It doesn't matter whether they're male or female. That's what this world says. God says, for this cause a man leaves his mother and father and cleaves to his wife and they become one flesh. And that was Jesus himself teaching the Jews and his disciples that God's standard is quite simple. We're in a society that has gone sex mad, and everything goes. And logically, if you let one thing go, you let everything go. We live in a society that gets outraged if Christians say it's wrong. If you say that the only acceptable place for sex is within a marriage of a man and a woman, society gets very upset. Oh, we've come out of the dark ages. Actually, I disagree. Maybe they need to look back to first century Palestine, where the Roman Empire was starting to crumble. 
where within a couple of hundred years the Roman Empire would be no more. Why did the Roman Empire crumble? Because of immorality and rabid debauchery that meant it became weak and vulnerable and they were attacked and overcome by the people who once they ruled. It was a vain attempt to try and shore up the Roman Empire by the Emperor Constantine. What did he do? He looked at society and realised that Christians are the only ones who stood for anything. The only reliable members of society. So he said, we will make Christianity the national religion. It sort of had a sticking plaster effect for a bit. Didn't really last. You can't force people to believe in Jesus Christ. You can't give them new life just by making it a government edict. So it matters what you believe because there's coming judgment. But nowadays, this verse from Psalm 14 is just so, so common. The fool says in his heart, there's no God. If you say there's no God, God's got one answer for you. He says, you're a fool. In fact, there's a lot of four-letter words that people use to insult people. A lot of bad language that people use. But in the Bible, there's a four-letter word that God uses and he considers it's the worst kind of insult he can give you. He calls you a fool. The fool has said in his heart, there's no God. Now, if you say there's no God, nobody accountable to. But just because you don't want to believe it, doesn't mean that he isn't there. Just because people say, oh, where's the evidence for God? Well, Romans chapter 1 will tell you the evidence is all around you. And if you look at this world that you live in, if you understand about this world, you will not realise just how wonderful this world is until you start looking at it. Even just a basic understanding. If you're involved with the sciences or you're studying at school, you're studying chemistry, biology, the more information you glean, the more you realise that when the Bible talks particularly about the human body, it says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The more we understand about genetics, the more we understand about the operation of even the single cell. Life is so unutterably complex and designed, it's not a matter of chance. Yet people put the blinkers on and go, I don't want to believe in God, so I'll try and find some other explanation for it, no matter how outlandish. And even relatively sane and sensible scientists, because they've closed their mind and say, I refuse to believe in anything other than the material world, they try and come up with even more desperate explanations. It was easy when Charles Darwin proposed that we evolved from primordial soup into little cells, and then cells into multiple-celled animals, and then into little insects, and then into bigger animals. He could propose that because they didn't understand just how complex and how fundamental to design the cell structure was. In fact, Darwin himself in his own writing said, if it can be proven that the cell is more, is more than a simple object, my whole theory breaks down. They don't tend to quote that part of his writings these days, because it broke down a long time ago. But when we come to the Bible, the Bible makes it very clear that there is one who is God that he is outside of space and time, that he created this universe in a moment, he brought it into being. 
Do you know what? Science has confirmed that. Have you noticed recently there have been a few people out there shouting, we're not sure about the Big Bang anymore. We think maybe it didn't happen that way. Well, they argued about the Big Bang when it was first proposed some 60-odd 60, 60 years ago um, because they thought it was trying to get God in by the back door into science. Well, what you're trying to say is that the universe was created. You might not realise this, but if you went back to the 1940s, most scientists believed that the, the universe had always existed and was eternal. There is good evidence that the universe had a beginning. Scientists will admit that. They struggle with a lot of things. But the answer is that God created. Genesis 1, God created the heaven and the earth. Boom. And there it was. And then he went on to shape his creation. You see, it matters why you believe, what you believe, because the Bible says, there we go, in John chapter 8, verse 24, we read it, unless you believe, I've slightly altered this verse, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Most English translations say, for unless you believe I am he, you will die in your sins. That's a fault of English translation. The actual original wording is, unless you believe that I am. Now, those of you who know your Bible will think back to Moses in the Old Testament. You will think back to an episode by a burning bush when God spoke to Moses and told him to go and take the children of Israel out of Egypt. And God said, he said, who shall I say sent me? Tell them I am has sent you. It's the name of God. And Jesus was making it very clear. Unless you believe that I am God in a man's body, you'll die in your sins. And if you're in your sins when you die, you're going to face a judger. You're going to face a judge. You're going to face the Lord himself. That's why it matters what you believe. It's actually quite important. This modern idea that you can believe what you like as long as you're comfortable with it and it doesn't hurt anybody, the problem is people will get hurt. Because in their wayward beliefs, they refuse to believe the truth, they turn their back on God, and they say, we'll believe what we want. They ignore the evidence because they don't want to believe the evidence, but there's coming a day they're going to have to stand up and be counted. And that's not going to be pleasant. Now, it says in 2 Peter 3, and I'll read it out because the text is a little small on the screen. Above all, you must understand in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. God has a plan for this planet. I heard a preacher speaking and he said... The environmentalists are worried about what we're doing to this planet. He said, there's going to be nothing to what Jesus is going to do to it one day. He's going to destroy it. 
And that's going to be part of a final judgment. You say, this is weird. I, I, I don't get this. I don't understand how in this modern 20th century we can believe all this medieval nonsense. Is it? This book has proven to be safe, to be reliable when it comes to its facts. People say, you come up to me and say, well, I don't believe the Bible. Why don't you believe the Bible? Well, there's lots of inconsistency in the Bible. If somebody does that to you, go, there you go, show me one. If you think there's an inconsistency in that book, there you go, show me one. You tell me why it's inconsistent. Because when you look at the so-called inconsistency, there, there is no inconsistency. People say, well, the four Gospels are all different. Yeah, absolutely right. There are four narratives written to highlight different things about the Lord Jesus Christ. If you read four biographies of some person, they'll all be different. doesn't mean they're not true. They highlight different aspects of the Lord's life. So there's no contradiction. But people nowadays scoff. Ha! Huh, you say Jesus is coming again? Huh. Oh, he hasn't turned up, has he? I haven't seen him. Everything goes on just like it was since the day of creation. And Peter has to remind the Christians he's writing to, he says, but of course, God formed the world. And then there came a time he judged the world in water with the great flood of Noah. And Once a day is coming, he's going to judge it again. So these people who scoff and say it's all rubbish, there's coming a day of reckoning. And that's why it's important who you believe on. Bob Dylan, he had to come up, sorry. I can't get away with it. Bob Dylan, but his songwriting is amazing. And uh, he wrote, and, and I'll just show you a verse from one of his songs, which is called I Believe in You. It's a song about his belief in Jesus as the Messiah. And I think this is very apt because it's how I feel in today's society. And he says, they ask me how I feel and if my love is real and how I know I'll make it through. And they, they look at me and frown. They'd like to drive me from this town. They don't want me around because I believe in you. You ever felt that as a Christian? They don't want us around. We're outcasts. We're pariahs. We don't fit into this nice liberal society that we've made for ourselves. Because we believe in absolute truth. Because we believe in the one who says, believe in me, believe who I am or you will die in your sins. The one who went to a cross and died. Why did Jesus die on a cross? Why did he have to go through all that pain and suffering? I'll tell you why. And here's a beautiful verse found in the first letter of Peter. It stands in scripture. I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This is quoting from the Old Testament. It talks about a cornerstone. What's the cornerstone? It's that foundation stone of the building. You put that down first, and then you can build all the walls off that because you've got a nice, solid foundation. And this is a prophetic description of Jesus Christ. The foundation stuff. Chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Well, 
You may suffer a few bits of abuse. People might laugh at you. People might ridicule you. But those who put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a sure hope. Remember that first verse? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Fantastic. If you're going to believe in something, I want to believe in something that I'm pretty certain is true and I'm pretty certain is fundamental and trustworthy. You cannot get more trustworthy than someone who is absolute truth. Someone who you know cannot tell a lie. It is not in his nature. He is not capable of telling a lie because he is truth, absolute. You see... The Bible tells us, and I'll read the whole passages over two slides, the righteousness of now, the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What does this verse tell us in Romans 3? It tells us that because we've sinned, because we've fallen short of God's holy standard, it was necessary that God should make a way whereby men could be reconciled to him. And so he gave his son as a sacrifice. Talk that hard word, propitiation. Trying to think of the best illustration. How would you propitiate? If you were kidnapped, if you, one of your family was kidnapped by some gangster, right? And he says, there's a ransom or you're going to find their dead body washed up in the River Thames. You know, you've all watched gangster movies. You know the kind of scene I'm painting here? Rough sounding guy, probably Vinnie Jones on the other end of the phone going, they're dead meat, mate, if you don't get there with the money on time. Doom. You would go with your case full of money, I mean, in all these stories, of course, the cops are in hiding and it all comes out wonderful, but you would go with your case full of money and you would say, please, Mr. Gangster, don't kill my loved one, my son, my daughter, my wife, or whoever it is he's got as a kidnapped victim. I want you to take this money so that you'll let them go. You are propitiating the person who's got your loved one's life in his hands. You are giving them something to try and get them to show mercy and hand over the one who they're going to kill. And very much like God has to judge, but Christ in his death is offering the price that saves you and I from the judgment and the wrath of God. Praise God, that is a wonderful thing. And therefore, by doing so, God remains just, but he also justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Now, if that's something to believe in, I don't know what is. 
Because if you believe in that, you know with absolute assurance that you are right with God. That you have your sin forgiven. That there is absolutely no possibility of God's judgment because God has given you his solemn assurance that those who believe in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who repent of their sin and believe by faith, they become a new creation. All the old things have passed away. They have new life in Christ. Whereas before, the Bible says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now you're made alive, spiritually, to God. Praise God. You see, in John 8, what happened? Well, a lot of these Jews, it says, they didn't understand he was telling them about his father. So Jesus made them a challenge. He says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man... He's speaking about his own crucifixion. He knew what was going to happen to him. Then you will know that I am he, but I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. In Christ giving himself on the cross, prophecy from the Old Testament was fulfilled so completely that the honest Jew would look at the Old Testament, would look at Christ's death and would go, yes, this is the promised Messiah. This is the one who has been promised from all time and eternity. And at the end he says, even as he spoke, many believed in him. Would you believe in him? Do you believe in him? That's the question. Who do you believe? Let's pray. Now God... We live in a world where people want us to believe all kinds of things. But at the same time, tell us there is no such thing as absolute truth. There are no such thing as absolute morals. We can believe what we want and Lord, we're just getting more and more muddled as a society. We thank you that in your word, you make it very clear that you are God, the creator of heaven and earth. A man is responsible for upholding and fulfilling your laws, and man has fallen short of that. And so we thank you for your son, and that he came, and that he was truth, that he spoke truth, that he testified both of himself and his father to who he was and why he had come. Lord, may we be like those Jews who, as they listened, believed in him. Father, it does matter what we believe. We can believe what we like, but if it's not true, our faith is vain. It has no function. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you and praise you that this morning we've got some absolute truth. We've got the word of God in our hands and it tells us of one who claimed many, many times to be God, who it was shown by many infallible proofs. Father, we thank you that your word self-proves itself that the creation we see around us tells us, shows us the hand of God. And through his word, we read of your son, the Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for his love. We thank you that he provided a way that all might go free. So our God, we want to just praise you this morning as we've been praising you, as we've sung. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Father, he's coming back again. And we with him will reign. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. In this, Father, we have such a wonderful God, such a wonderful Saviour. 
and uh, we just want to thank you for him and praise you for him this morning in your name. Amen. Well, it's been a real privilege to have you this morning.